Sunday, September the 26th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great, thank you, Lucy. Uh, said to verse to verse 18 on there, but actually I'm glad she stopped where she did in verse 11. If you'd like to look that up, actually, that might be uh, helpful and keep a thumb open or whatever you do, switch on your Bibles and uh, uh, just have that open. That's 1 Thessalonians halfway through chapter 4 and then halfway through chapter 5 it went on to. So, God's promise of Jesus' return. I thought I was due to speak under this heading at a church in Framlingham this morning. And so I faithfully prepared, only to remember a few days ago, that several weeks ago, Framlingham very graciously and apologetically cancelled their request for me to speak. I've got a memory like a, thank you, like a sieve. And I'd already uploaded the same talk for Burlington's online service today, and so Claire kindly offered for me to deliver it live this morning as well. So things didn't quite work out as I had expected them to. God's promise of Jesus' return. I'm reminded of a church where the visiting preacher gave an absolutely amazing sermon on the second coming. It really stirred and inspired the congregation. And as he sat down, an awe-filled silence filled the room. Nobody moved. And after what seemed like an age... One of the elders started very gently to sing a worship song very slowly with great reverence. And everyone else joined in. He'll be coming round the mountain when he comes. <laughs> and it wasn't until they all got to singing I, I, Ippy, Ippy, I that they realised what they'd started. Things didn't quite work out as they had expected them to. When I was a young pastor, people would occasionally ask me why I didn't ever teach about the second coming of Jesus. And I would reply, well, I haven't got over the first one yet. Uh, It's a light-hearted quip, maybe, with some truth in it, but a totally inadequate reply. And do you know, To this day, I would still want to tiptoe very lightly into the subject as there is still, to me, such mystery surrounding it and strong, diverse opinion and speculation that has sometimes divided the church. I confess that on many issues surrounding eschatology or the end times, I'm still unclear on what I believe. So in order to fulfill the challenging brief that I thought had been given to me today, I aim to tackle it under three 
simple headings, focusing on the portion of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, that was given to me, plus a few references maybe from things that Jesus specifically said about the end times. And one thing, one of the headings is something I will suggest that is good to know. One, I will argue, is something that is really important that we don't know. And the third, I believe, is something that is really important for us to know. And they are these. The first one, the order of things, the chronology, and the timing of things, and then how we should live. So firstly, the order of things. I'm sorry, I can't see the monitor up there, so I'm checking. The order of things. As a young Christian, I remember seeing many a chart produced outlining the sequences of how things will ultimately turn out. And many of these eschatological charts and diagrams flew over the pond in a 747 and remain of great interest, priority and debate among many US believers today. And maybe you've seen them, books, films and dramas still being produced to demonstrate how the end times will, in the opinion of their creators, plan out. But with a few exceptions, it wasn't something in my experience anyway that British believers were quite so intrigued by. In fact, some were quite cynical about the whole exercise. I think feeling that this could easily become a cerebral and potentially divisive diversion from the importance of walking with Jesus today. And I was amused by the tongue-in-cheek chart that went something like this. Meek inherit the earth. Earth explodes. Meek disappointed. Things didn't quite turn out as they had expected them to. And yet in 1 Thessalonians 4, after some very practical uh, instruction about how believers should avoid sexual immorality, verse 3, how they should love one another, verse 9, lead a quiet life, verse 11, win the respect of outsiders, verse 12, today. Then Paul goes on to say he doesn't want us to be uninformed about the future, the end times. And that's why the order, the chronology of things is my good-to-know heading. And we're not uninformed. The Bible does inform us about end times through from the Old Testament visionaries and prophets, including Daniel, Isaiah, Zechariah, for example, through the New Testament teachings of Jesus and then of the apostles, Peter, Paul, John particularly. So we cannot say we are uninformed, but many good Bible-believing Christians would at least confess to being a little confused, and me included, so, am I a post-tribulational pre-millennialist, a pre-tribulational dispensational pre-millennialist? Am I a post-millennialist? Am I an amillennialist? Do you know, I honestly don't know. But one thing I'm certain of, I absolutely believe to be true, and that is that Jesus will return. And you know, it's going to be absolutely extraordinary, miraculous, sensational. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And both those who have died in him, 
and those who are still alive in him will be caught up. The Greek is harpazo, it's to seize, to catch up, to snatch away, together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This caught-upness, commonly referred to as the rapture. However, whether that happens before or during or after the tribulation and or the millennium, whether or not these occurrences are literal, I really don't know. Whether we go up to live in a new heaven or then Jesus comes down to form a new earth or a new Jerusalem, I'm not sure. And when we get there, wherever there is, will it be one eternal praise and worship meeting? I I sort of doubt it somehow. It may just be the task-oriented Westerner in me, but I think we'll have some stuff to do. But what do I know? Things may not turn out as we expect them to. But in this one ultra-relational truth, Paul wanted the Thessalonian church and me and you to be comforted, to be reassured, and to be encouraged. And that is this. We will be with the Lord forever. Now, for the moment, that will do for me. As we sang here last Sunday morning, your presence is heaven to me. So, if that was the order of things, what about the timing of things? This one's actually a lot easier to explain, simply because no one knows. Not even Jesus, but only the Father. So please, don't take any notice of those who predict dates and years. This is my heading of the one thing that's really important. We don't know. Just imagine if we did. And also, just imagine... We all knew the day we were going to die, that it was somehow stamped on our birth certificate. The world would be in complete chaos. We'd have an entirely different set of values, our approach to relationships and integrity and fear and risk and planning, self-discipline, a whole lot more. We'd be all over the place. Did you know that in the early 1520s, a group of astrologers in London predicted the world would end by a flood starting in London in 1524. And it's said that something like 20,000 Londoners, that must have been about 40% of them, left their homes and headed for higher ground in anticipation. Did you know that Martin Luther, instigator of the Protestant Reformation, predicted the end of the world would occur no later than 1600? And that in his book of prophecies, published in 1501, Christopher Columbus predicted that the world would end in 1656. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, foresaw the millennium beginning in 1836 when Christ should come. Things didn't quite work out as they had expected them to. And in more recent days, Jerry Falwell and Tim LaHaye made strong eschatological predictions based on the Y2K bug, if you remember that, 1st of January 2000. And that even now, the pastor of a 17,000-member Californian church predicts the rapture will occur in 2021. 
And on and on and on it goes. Times past, times present, times future. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while many are saying peace and safety or everything's just fine. Now Jesus does give some indication as to the signs that will precede the end times. Mark 13, good place to go for that, as is Matthew 24, 25. And Jesus there warns uh, of wars, of earthquakes, of famines, of persecution, of trials, and of divided families. When will this happen? The disciples asked him. And the same question has intrigued people ever since. When? But in answer to that question, Jesus very clearly replied that no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not Christopher Columbus, not even Jesus himself, but only the Father. So that is why this is the question that I feel is really important. We don't know the answer to. So, how should we live? This is the very important thing that we should know. How should we live in the light of Jesus' possibly imminent return? So, if you're still there in 1 Thessalonians 4, building up to the part we started, verse 1, Paul urges his readers to live in order to please God and urges us to do this more and more. There's something developmental, progressive about this, continual. And within and immediately after this passage into um, chapter 5, Paul instructs us how to, how to live as children of light so that the coming of Jesus does not surprise us after everything we've said. That it does not surprise us, interesting word. So that we are not only informed, but also comforted and encouraged. But he also says that we should be awake and sober, clothed with faith and love and hope. And regarding the end times, Jesus also repeatedly used very similar expressions. So I think we need to take note. Be on guard, be alert, keep watch. And they're not expressions we hear in every chapter, but regarding the anticipation of Jesus' return, this is the sort of attitude that he's urging and underlining. I beg you, therefore, not to live in a state of passivity or to keep private little corners of your life away from the light of the gospel, to invest into secret sins and habits that do not honour him. Please, don't be floppy. Don't be sleepy. I urge you, don't be lazy or careless or too cheap and sort of agreeable with your gospel. I've seen far too many people starting well, then taking their foot off the pedal somehow, taking the foot off the pedal of honest Christ-centered, Bible-based discipleship, deceiving themselves into justifying their lifestyle and not noticing as the weeds begin to come up and end up totally choking the life of God that they had previously invested into. It's tragic. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, they will not escape, says Paul. There's some tough things in here. Jesus warns of those who had no oil in their lamps when the bridegroom arrived, of the servant who hid their talents rather than using them for the benefit of the master, and of eternal separation as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. That's all in Matthew 25. So one thing is good to know. Let's not be uninformed about what the scripture says about the future. But don't sell yourselves 
through an obsessive theoretical study of end times either. Second thing is really important that we don't know, don't go running after conspiracies and theories about dates and times of Jesus' return. You won't find the answer and it will do your soul no good. And because things don't always turn out as we expect them to, the third thing is really important that we do know. That is how we should live daily, consistently, starting keeping watch over our own souls, actively putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet, intentionally laying down our lives for the sake of others. Therefore, in the words of Paul himself, which is quoted from Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, I pray that the Lord will strengthen your hearts, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones.